Mr. Haberdashri, a.k.a. Aeolus White. It's my birthday! Happy birthday to me! I, um, yo. It's my birthday. Always been cracked, low birth weight. Nah, nah, let me see. See? This is why I don't rap, I don't make jokes, because that's probably offensive. And I don't mean to offend anybody, you know, that has that struggle. But always been grad low birth weight. Uh, that, that, that kind of slaps. See, that is kind of a bar, which is the problem. I missed you all. Um, the past two weeks have been crazy. The past year has been the past. I guess like first two months, rod, like you know, roughly like one a month or one month and a half, has been twenty twenty essentially. Twenty twenty has had thirteen and a half months, and you know, not much notable change there. But you know, we try. We try to be optimistic with the new calendar year. I rock with it. If you rock with it, you know we rock together. I feel like I've been better this year, though, at feeding myself, giving myself things that I love, things that edify me, make me feel a bit better. So shout out to that. At least that lesson is there. Um, And that's a good lesson to learn in time and time for 31. You know, I have completed my 31st year of life. So, I guess, you know, I should be good at self-care. or I, Like, I should know how to take care of myself by now, you know? <laughs> if I haven't, you know, the prior, the prior 30, uh, 30 years, but the 31st one, I got so I learned something about self-care. So, shout out, shout out to me. Uh, but, yeah, thanks for tuning in. Thanks for coming back. I know the two weeks, the two week schedule is a bit different, and I know folks love their week to week, and I love the week to week. But I've been having like a lot of personal things, professional things, semi professional things, like so. I've been trying to, and also just to, you know, like I say, I, I, you can tell I feel guilty about it because I uh, keep explaining myself every week about it. But yeah, so you know what type of time we on. You know what type of time we on when I start the podcast with Nikki. This is an old interview with her at Genius with Rob Markman. I love this. This is one of my favorite interviews. I saw it circulating on Insta or Twitter or something, and it just touched my heart. It reminded me of, you know, that era, the queen era, and when she was talking her shit. And I, I've always loved her in interviews ever since, you know, mixtape Nikki interviews. This one in particular, though, it reminded me of something that Wayne said a while ago about heroes. And I mentioned this on the podcast before, right? How 
back in the day, it was cool to have heroes. It was cool to say, I want to be just like Michael Jordan. I want to be just like whoever the fuck else. Because you know I didn't really play, you know, I didn't really play sports or whatever. But, like, people were more confident. Well, I shouldn't say that. But I didn't see myself in, in athletes, right? So, uh, and I'm drinking this episode, John. Yeah, no, I haven't drank... In a while, and I'm drinking everything. Okay, beer, wine. I've been drank on camera. <laughs> no, beer, wine, and some liquor in a shot glass, and some whiskey. But um, you know, there is just something to that, and I feel like the culture, particularly in hip hop, but even um, in a lot of marginalized cultures, cultures that you know. Are have been started or started in opposition to the status quo, to the regime, uh, to the establishment, and the establishment weighed in on it and attacked it and eventually invaded and corrupted it. I think that not when we stop being able to say, "Oh, I want to," this person is my hero. When we stop being able to say. Oh, I'm genuinely inspired by this person, this artist. I'm in, I'm in dialogue artistically with this artist. I like, I would like to have a response creatively to their work. Like when we stopped doing that to ourselves, you know, it's we we sort of like we took on, we absorbed the arrogance that is inherent in the establishment way of moving. And you know it's problematic. So, in in the in the in the clip when she says, you know, it's okay to acknowledge that you're inspired. I mean, we know, and she's right about that. You know, we can see her impact, but beyond her impact, we could just see folks when they're inspired by others, um, and people want to act like they're not. People want to act like they were the first to do it. They were the baddest. You know, he was the illest, you know, and they, they want to act like, and it's like, no, I mean, yeah, let me not put this label to the, you know, we don't give, we don't give free promo. You won't see me no free, but this ain't no promo. Um, but yeah, and on, on the self, on the self care bit, I, I, recently went skating i've been going ice skating a lot and i think it's for there are many reasons why i've been going ice skating i think one of them is that i genuinely like it and when i went i went on a date and i won't go into all that but i went on a date and one of the date ideas was uh ice skating and it reignited or it ignited this love this interest in skating and it reminded me of my grandmother who had passed away, my father's mother. And she and I used to watch, um, like, figure skating all the time. She loved the Winter Olympics. And I didn't know this about her. I didn't put it together at the time. This was just who she was to me. But I guess later I started to think more, like, how does a Bayesian woman, like, why does she love Winter Olympics? Like, I, you know, I wish I had asked her how she started to love it, but... 
Regardless, I just thought so much about her, a woman that had eight kids and raised them alone in this country and just what that meant for her and that she was able to find and protect this joy um, through winter, through like winter sports. So I was like, you know, I'm going to keep going back and I genuinely like it and it reminds me of her. And then one day... When I came off the ice, look at me, sound like I'm a real ice skating bitch and I'm not. But when I left the rink, uh, the my father calls me and he was talking to me about like just bullshit. But then eventually he asked me what I had been doing. I said I was ice skating. And he was talking about how that's something that he always wanted to do. How it reminded him of his mom and how he just was afraid of it because he felt like he was too big to be balanced on the small blade, which is something that he would think, um, which is just hilarious and just the way he thinks. But I thought about the generational blockages to us ice skating, the lack of representation, all the things, the financial, like everything that goes into why... I hadn't seen a lot of ice skating or, you know, why I hadn't ice skated before. Um, and I was like, bitch, you better take your ass and skate. I also thought about, you know, I'm getting an, a medical operation, which is going to have me, like, not really that ambulatory for, like, three or four weeks at the very least. And it'll take me months to get my full, like, mobility back. So I was also thinking about, like, in the eve of that moment do the things, do the physical things that you love to do. You know, the ones, <laughs> the ones that are COVID friendly, okay? Like the COVID friendly list. And, you know, I go to the eyes, I skate, and it's really, it's beautiful. I will tell you this that dumb motherfucking seven year olds be beating my ass on the ice, okay? They be beating my, they be beating my ass. They are, there are some kids that be so good and they just will skate by with their little, you know, little agile bodies and look at me. They'll look at me and be, and like, I know what I, like, when they see me, I just hear a voice that's like, um, sir, sir, I don't, um, know what it is you're doing, but, um, over here, we skate. You know, like, I see them, like, turning into, like, these, like, skate. I don't know, but they can skate. The motherfuckers can skate over there. And, you know, I've only been skating three or four times, or maybe four or five at this point, so it's not cute. You know, I, I can't. I, it's not cute. I fell once, so shout out to me, because falling is part of learning. But I, um, yeah, girl. I'm not going to stare and act like I'm, like, you know, the next, like, skating ass, because I'm not. Um, yeah, so I wanted to get into two movies because I realized I've been doing a lot of art, uh, not like critique, but just reacting to my art to movies. And I think that I'm gonna keep doing that because it feeds me, it feeds me to participate in another art form as an audience member as someone with an open heart to the work and as and have it not be so like oh when I read somebody's poetry even though I tend to be pretty open-hearted when I read poetry but and I approach poetry as a student so when I read a poet particularly that like does some amazing shit that really moves me I I'm studying and I'm grateful. I'm like an apprentice to the work. But music, and that's how I am with music as well. But 
music for me is very like oh like <laughs> not regimented because it's improv like I believe in improvisation which is like the theme in this episode but I don't know like it, it just activates a different side of me that makes me want to make it like when I hear music that I love I want to make music I go into like musician mode rather than oh bitch I just really love that film I'm not making a movie so, so <laughs> you know I won't be in front or right behind the camera but I just appreciate it for what it is um yeah so I watched I recently watched Malcolm and Marie and you know, they got a lot of flack for this movie, mainly because, I mean, there are a lot of reasons why. One, it's like black-centered, but Sam Levinson wrote it and directed it. And I think people, I, I, I think, you know, people need to really understand that even if the script is amazing, even if the language was authentic or were authentic, there would still be... Some people would be made uncomfortable by this coming from a white man's imagination and him not speaking about how how it genuinely inspired him. Um, but that's not my critique, but I'm just saying that there are people that just didn't like it already because it was Sam Levinson. And... I got a lot of critiques about the movie not being realistic because I think like the writing not being realistic. I think a lot of people's critiques were were about the use of fairly academic or intellectual language in the arguing and also in just the way it happened and the way it came together and how she speaks, how he speaks. And I, you know, disagree with that as well. I'm not saying that the movie was great. I'm not saying that. But I also don't want to judge movies like that. I feel that... How I felt watching the movie was that it triggered me. I have... And not even triggered me from my own direct experience. Triggered me from an empathetic perspective of having black women or female friends that deal with this type of black man who is educated and who wields his education or the knowledge garnered through the knowledge and language garnered through that education as a weapon against her and having seen that so many times I have seen it so many times as a you know as an alumnus of Georgetown as an alumnus of Chope like these elite private schools, these elite private institutions, I have seen people that think that they are smart, men, black men that think that they are smart, straight black men, but don't have to be straight, that think that they are smart and use that as violence against women. And I'm, and like, I would think about my teenage years, and I'm sure I've done that, not in obviously romantic partners, but I'm sure. In some way, before I got my life together, that that behavior may, I mean, you know, to some degree, you know, I don't really, I mean, my gender relationship is a bit different, but you know, whatever. I just, but the level of what my sister calls um, emotional terrorism, I agree. You know, he is exceedingly violent. 
which to me is beyond like I could not even imagine imagine a future with somebody like that after the things that he said. And not just the things that he said, but the way he carries himself, the way he invalidates her, the way he... And, you know, I just... I'm not saying she's perfect, but I think that people didn't want it to be realistic because they didn't want... Well, they first, they didn't want to believe that people like this actively exist or actually exist. They didn't want to... I mean, I think that this is re- related to the struggle, related to, uh, I'm not going to call it revolution, but related to progress or reform, however you want to think about what a lot of people are doing in the movement. I could have just said the movement. Because a lot of times there's a presupposition that class privilege means that somehow you are good. Like, just because you have gotten education don't mean that you are not evil. I mean, evil people that are educated will just be educated in the ways in which they, like, enact evil. Like, they're not... It's not going to make them less evil. And I think that a lot of people hadn't seen this archetype of the educated millennial black man or whatever. And because of that, there is no... You know, they think that even the fact that he would be exist in this way and you have this language at his fingertips is unrealistic and that is racist and is ignorant but whatever aside from that there's this idea that you know if someone like this were to exist he wouldn't be behaving like that and that's not true like people that you know in general and this is not a black man thing this is in general if you are an evil person or if you are a person that just likes or that is being evil if you're somebody who is in an oppressor uh intentional state like mentally and physically the new information you'll get if you're intent on being oppressive you get new information you just go use that new information to be oppressive You know, information itself, data points are not the cure to, you know, they're not not the facilitator of empathy. We like to think that we tell and tell and teach and teach. We can teach our way out of oppression. And I think that there is some truth to emphasizing certain human elements like empathy, compassion, And that there are ways that are in the human psyche that can allow us to do those things better. And those need to be taught. But I mean in a formally educative, like, oh, you know, here's the history of blah, blah, blah. And that's going to somehow make everybody not racist. is like crazy. Or like, like, here's the history of women's suffrage that's going to make everybody not sexist. is not, it's just not true and all you do and you know where you see this the most and not the most but you know where i have seen this a lot is like therapy i have seen people go to therapy and then wield therapy speak against their partners wield therapy therapy speak against their friends against their parents and it's like fam don't tell anybody that their defense mechanisming or you know, whatever, sublimating or whatever 
be quiet. Don't use a therapy speak with somebody who's not your therapist. You are wielding this this new information violently against the person that you're speaking to, and it's not it's not cute. So I saw a lot of that on Malcolm and Marie. And there's also a bit of it that reminded me of Mother, the movie uh, with the um, old boy, because that was a terrible summation of the facts about Mother. But uh, who was in it? Is it Joaquin? No, that's not Joaquin. That's our old boy. Um, yeah, so clearly I don't know the actors' names, but old girl's in it. Um... Uh, damn! I forgot her name too. But everybody liked her for a long for a time. You know, she was winning all the things. And Jennifer Lawrence, Jennifer Lawrence, and then what is his name? Javier Bardem. Okay, yes. So, is it Javier? Yeah, yeah. It reminds me of that because. It reminds me of what it means to date. Like there's a, a, a there are several conflicts in it, but one of them is like his artistic use of her life story. And I think that there is a bit of this that people don't acknowledge that people that needs to be con- like spoken about explicitly when you date a writer or an artist or like an actor or whatever. You know, these are people that are not all of them, but even singer, like songwriters, these are people that are mining their experience. They're like mining their their direct experience and also the indirect experience that may have authentically moved them. They're mining you for your for your you know for like actors will mine you for turns of phrases for looks for gestures for you know they that's what they do and writers will mind you for also turns of phrases for narrative points or whatever for just you know plot and that's just what they do right and like not to say that it's okay but i can see how you could be dating a direct filmmaker and your your story ends up on film and you not getting credit for it and you feeling like you deserve more because he just mind that is what he does and like there obviously are ways to go about doing it in a way that's not so crazy and like there are better ways I don't want to say better ways, but there are other ways to create aside from just tilling the earth, you know, in a way that is not um, sustainable for your art. But without that challenge being brought to you, without that conversation happening, it's not these relationships can be destructive. They can leave the other person feeling like old girl felt in mother, like Zendaya felt in Malcolm and Marie. And that that matters to me, obviously, as an artist and as someone that has these proclivities, like what, how can I honor my partner, my friends, my, you know, people that I love in my life or that I'm in loving relationship with that trust me? You know, am I going to write a song about what they're going through? Or, but you know it's complicated because when they tell me something i might genuinely have an honest reaction to an emotional one and it might make me feel the way do i not create out of that so it gets a little weird but i think it's worth discussing 
Um, but yeah, would I recommend people watch it? I remember black people watch it. I think like, sure, if you want to, it made me very uncomfortable, which I think is okay for a movie. But you know, if y'all are into that kind of thing, then I would uh, recommend it. On the flip, I watched or on an, like another whatever. I watched Judas and the Black Messiah. And I'm going to say this right now. And it could be that I'm in an emotional, emotionally vulnerable place. Like, I have been. But honestly, I don't feel like it's really that vulnerable. I feel like my disemotionality has heightened through the work that I've done on myself. But I don't know how y'all watch that shit. By the end of that movie, I was bawling. And what I, it's a, it's a master, I love it, I'm not gonna say it's a masterpiece or some wild shit, I'm gonna just say that I love the movie, I recommend it for people that are interested in this kind of thing, um, it speaks on revolution, it speaks on, uh, you know, just counter-establishment work. It speaks on the type of unity that would be good for us, like with the rainbow color. It does a lot of stuff that I didn't think it would do, honestly, as a mainstream, I guess, or produced by a major production house or whatever. But it did, and I really enjoyed it. The acting is great. I, I have no... Nothing critical to say about it. What I just, what made me sad, I mean, I don't even want to get to crying on this pod, but one of the challenges that I have in general is that sometimes the abstract And this goes to rhetoric, this goes to logic, this goes to political, moral, uh, epistemological, metaphysic, like philosophy, theory. A lot of this, and even the emotional narrative, a lot of it, well, yeah, yeah, because I'm going to explain that, doesn't take into account the emotional weight of what is going on. A lot of times art can elevate someone to the martyrdom. Art can elevate someone to hero status. Art can make it feel that somebody's life was not in vain, that their death did not that their death amounted to something and that their death was just, did not, you know, did not, is not reducible to, you know, a period on the bottom of the page of some history textbook. I, and I'm not saying the film does this, I just don't want, the way people talk about the film to obscure the utter tragedy of Fred Hampton being murdered by the police, by the FBI. 
via betrayal and the carceral, and not even just betrayal, but the carceral state working on both ends. This, to even depict this sort of thing, to even, there's a, uh, there's a documentary about this, but to even have the ability to say this with a straight face, for the FBI to release dossiers, for this to be on the FBI's motherfucking website for the data to corrob that corroborates this to be available or not the primary sources is the FBI telling us that they don't give a fuck <laughs> like yeah we did this like and what's good and I don't you know I just don't know how I find peace in that. I I truly don't know how I find anything that is not terror or that is not sadness and mourning, grief in that. And I think that I was just, am just overwhelmed. And then I like got the end they were talking about what Fred Hampton Jr. is doing, and I just felt like, you know, the cyclicality of the struggle, but also of the oppression and the violence and the death and the and the everything else, the depravity, the stickiness of it. I just, you know. Don't watch that. And I'm not like, ooh, girl, you know, <laughs> let's watch it again. Like, my mom was talking about she going to watch it again. I was like, bitch, good luck. You, you know, shout out to you. But she's also a filmmaker, so, you know. But I was like, I can't. I'll watch that again. I'm going to be crying, okay? Crying. Crying. And I can't. I can't do it. I simply cannot do it. But that was, what is that? That is from a musical, maybe Chicago. I don't know. But yeah, so that was Judas. So we're already 30 minutes in. So let me try to get to the end of this. Um, what I wanted to discuss this week was this concept of the imposition of self. But I'm probably not going to do that good of a job because I've been drinking. But here's what we're going to do. We're going to get through it anyway. So this is on the back of conversations both about gender. So what I was saying about like accepting. So let's review the gender thing that the masculine and feminine can be redescribed in terms of activities of the spirit. So as opposed to taking on this, this, you know, bifurcated or this duality of gender or even like if you think about it like a trio or whatever the word would be for three of gender or whatever you can kind of describe and maybe there are more than four i don't know but you can kind of describe the activities of the human spirit as making giving accepting and transformation and transforming and that we pull each there are certain bodies that are more 
that are more susceptible to certain types of activities, but you can all, all of us has access to all of them um, to different degrees based on limitations of the body, obviously. And um, that's, and I'm not speaking about this from a trans perspective. I'm speaking about it just from like how I interact with gendered energy in this world. So. With that, I thought about acceptance, and I thought about how active acceptance is not just saying, oh, things are happening, I shall do what, whatever is occurring, I'm going to fall in line. But really, active acceptance is, is researching, is knowing the component parts of something. For us to accept what the earth has given us as you know, reality or as like, our resources and be able to say, I know what this does, and you know, to understand the gift is part of acceptance to that is the place of science is to really understand what we've been given and to see it as a gift and to shepherd it and to you know really make sure that it is sustained is part of the gift right it's part of the acknowledging that it is in fact a gift and so all of that goes into this what I realized, and I, and I, in the past couple episodes, I've talked about, um, you know, basically about self. So I have been having this conversation with my friends, but also just, and by friends, I mean like they are my friends, but they're also my thought partners. They're also the people that are working on concepts, but also practices that can lead us to liberation, at least within our lifetime and beyond, right? So, in our work, the concept of self has come in, at least for me it's come in. Like, I haven't really pushed it, but I brought this to the group, or to the pairs that I'm in. And... I discussed this last week about how the legacy of the th of thinking of the self, so the the on uh, the philosophy of the self is rooted from a European perspective is rooted in an individualistic uh, point of view and a thinking first, like minds first, and a domination type of framework. And I talked about boundary carving and appropriation and a lot of the things, the, 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 the reformatting or the formatting of the earth into the ideas that are in the mind and believing that that is what it means to be human, to be man. That sort of like intellectual subjugation of the environment. And I loosely tie that to the politics that we see um, in ideas that are capitalist, uh, like hyper, I mean, we can call it hyper, whatever, but just like, today, white settler colonialism, and blah, 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 you know, all the things. So that's a summary that I think I did a pretty fucking good job summarizing that, because it's a lot. Go back and listen to the episodes if you don't know what the fuck I'm saying. And uh, now I'm at a place where I wanted to give some, you know, more concrete examples or I wanted to discuss it in a different way. So what it means, another way of thinking about this 
is, or maybe not just another way, but the another and the next way of thinking about this on a day-to-day basis is what it means to, if I'm accepting, and if the self is expansive, then I need not impose the self on my environment. And I think the imposition of self onto an environment is a necessarily Western idea, which is why going jumping to art form, jumping to music, which is why improvisation is not native to Western music that is not black. Because... If you are to improvise, you are to let the music affect you. You are to grow intimate with the music. And what you, what you study, when you watch the westernization of improvisation, you see a lot of people learning licks, like learning scales, like figuring out a way to bang it into their body such that they can reproduce something that they've already practiced, right, to sound good, to have a good outcome, which, you know, in some respects is improvisation because what makes an improviser, part of what makes an improviser so good is that they are rooted in their work, they're rooted in their craft, they're rooted in their expression, so they respect the, the art form. But on the flip side, it's practice. So it's, you know, you, you need to be, you need to live in the moment for it to be true improvisation. And that means that you are not imposing yourself on the moment because the music has to tell you what to do. And not that you are a slave to it, but you are in a uh, uh, contemporaneous dialogue and intimacy with the moment in which the self is seeking to merge with the moment. But the moment existed before the self. The moment has primacy like over the self. You know, we are, there is an obedience, even though we are collaborating, there is a parent, almost a parent-child relationship between the moment and the self. You know, people describe this as channeling, they describe it as a lot of things, like, and I think that's what makes gospel so beautiful as an art form, at least as a singer, as vocalist, is that you are supposed to be, when, when they tell you that your ministry is praising God, you focus on that. Yes, you understand that you need that, you know, you can block your, like, you need to have your music, like, you need to know your things. And I'm, you know, I'm just drawing from my experience, and I'm not, this is not, you know, whatever. I'm not, but when, when you focus on that, it is like, what you do is you supposed to put ego to the side. You're supposed to allow yourself to be used, like a lot of this language, to be used as a vessel for. And yes, you prepare as a vessel. You have to, you have to prepare. But you are, it's ultimately an act of submission to the moment, you know. And you, that type of giving of oneself is not native to cultures that support the imposition of self 
via I think therefore I am logic via you know early like we love Socrates but you know what I mean like that is not and 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 you know what's interesting is that Nietzsche I've talked about this before about the birth of tragedy and Apollo versus Dionysian concept of art which is what he Nietzsche does in the in the in the birth of tragedy, tries to like, so it's not that there was no concepts of improvisation, but it was considered wild. It was considered savage. It was considered lascivious. It was man. It was embodied through Dionysus, who you know, as the god of wine, and this this form of art, as you know, as distinct from the Apollonian sort of, you know respectable high art so it's not completely absent right but at the same time it's not what we had what we saw in the antebellum south as embodied through black people and a lot of what we see is you know, we see, I remember somebody telling me as a singer, he's like, well, if you want to be a singer, you got to know how to improvise because you ain't going to always know the song. And he gave me that advice later in my life. And I, I it's hard to put your ego because like you at the same time, you have control of your faculties, but you are both. If you're doing it in a way that's not like if you're not just, you know, I'm. Someone that's jerking off on your on your art. There's a respect to that's not Western. I think about that in terms of dance a lot. And I'm not here to make jokes about the West, not knowing how to dance. I'ma just say that when people struggle to be on the beat, it's because they're not listening and submitting to the beat. Because you need to be so locked into this pattern that you're not thinking about the beat. If you think about the beat, you will be off beat because it takes time to think. You, you're by, literally the sound waves of the beat have to affect the body's sense of where it is via... You know, molecular, whatever the fuck that would be. Like, some kind of, like, transmission of energy through bolic, whatever the fuck language it is. You have to allow yourself to be moved by the beat. Such that you anticipate the beat. Your body anticipates the beat. So that you can be on beat. Now, if you can't do that... Because you are imposing your thoughts, your doubts, your egos, your insecurities, people calling you like ugly or whatever, awkward, whatever it is. Your ass ain't on beat. You know, that's why. Because you're imposing and now you look crazy. And then you look at people that don't impose themselves and it might look like they're imposing themselves because the dance move might be whatever. But in truth, they are moving to. It's like they are moving, they are being inspired by the beat. 
And I use all of this as, you know, analogy for, I think, you know, liberation and what community building and love and all the things that I've spoken about since the beginning of this year, since the beginning of the change, right? The change of having this podcast be um, positive in the sense of having it be generative is that, you know, all of that shit means being in means not imposing yourself onto others or onto the environment. It means being in honest dialogue. It means being intimate with the to- with time. Being intimate with time and space, you know, being seen and allowing yourself to be changed by and it's hard because when you think about being the master of your fate, being the master of your destiny, being the master of your dominion, thinking about everything from feudalism to, you know, imperialism to whatever, just what it means to be in a part of a sovereign place, it's just not, it's not the same that language or that mentality isn't promoted but it's difficult if you cannot find the freedom to be your if you cannot find freedom to be how do I say this if you cannot find freedom in the smallest pocket of time and space the smallest pocket of space time what makes you think you can find freedom in the context of white supremacist, imperialist, capitalist, patriarchy. You can't you cannot set down the burden of imposing the self over a four over a four four drum beat. You can't put that down. For three minutes, what makes you think you can achieve a lifetime of something like freedom in the context of what we suffer through? Nope, no, it's not happening. It's not happening. Um... But with that said, I'm going to take this shot and then I'm going to chase it with this wine. And then I'm going to turn this off because it's my motherfucking birthday, bitch. And, um, hold on, girl. I will probably talk about gender next. I'm kind of toying with, obviously I've already spoken about gender, but... I want to maybe tell a story of my own gender journey. And maybe time for me to say things on wax that I never said before. But anyway, I love you all. Thanks for joining me. This is epi- this has been episode 78 of the Black Sublime Podcast. 